0: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed
1: as we welcome you along to the programme and I'm hoping everybody listening uh, survived storm Jocelyn uh, yesterday I do feel I don't know if we've many here in Cork or not but I know there are some parts of the country that are still without power and some of them actually have been without power since the Aisha storm on Sunday and the ESB networks are saying that it'll be a number of days before power is fully restored to all of the customers and they're really working hard after the two major storms this uh, week. There's about 29,000 homes and businesses currently without electricity because of storm uh, damage. Uh, So thank God that we have, as the weather forecast says, a much quieter day today, particularly for those ESB uh, crews, because hopefully it will help them uh, to speed up the work uh, as well. 0818 103 103. We have to talk Oscars, don't we, just to start the programme this morning and to say congratulations to our own uh, Killian Murphy, who has been not nominated for an Oscar for the first time for his role in uh, Oppenheimer. And he plays the lead character of J. Robert Oppenheimer in Christopher Nolan's drama. But of course, it's about the father of the atomic bomb. And am I also right in saying that it is the first Academy Award nomination for Cork? have we had a cork actor or actress nominated before for an academy award uh, and and i would like to think to win i don't think we have but it's certainly the first uh, academy award nomination for killian murphy and not before a time and i love the fact and it's all over uh, the news and the newspapers is the fact that it just happens that killian murphy is he's off for a few days so what do you do when you're off you go home to mammy and daddy so he's home in his family home in in Cork along with his wife and that's when he heard that he, I mean, I'm assuming he was sitting around a TV the same as everybody else uh, yesterday and he saw the nomination uh, come in it was about half past one uh, yesterday and uh, when he was asked then how did he celebrate it he was speaking with the US uh, publication variety and they were saying "You know, how did you celebrate it. Most people would probably be saying oh I cracked open the bottles of champagne we had an expensive lunch in a restaurant no. He said Mammy put on the kettle they had a cup of tea and a slice of cake. He said it was really nice. My mom made a sponge cake and it was very tasty. <laughs> So that's how they celebrated. Congratulations. I just think it's great. And it's the best way to celebrate. Cup of tea around the kitchen table where you grew up with your mum and your dad. And she pulls out a wonderful sponge cake from the uh, oven. There was a bit of disappointment, though, for some of our other Cork uh, actors, in particular, Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell. They missed out. People thought that they would get a nomination. One or both for all of us strangers, and I have to say I was most disappointed that uh, Barry Keoghan didn't get the nod for Saltburn because I, I just think he was super. I think he's a superb actor, but I think he was particularly good in Saltburn. Even though having watched Saltburn, I just think for the Academy Award and for the Academy, I think maybe a little bit too risky. Anyone who's ever uh, anyone who's seen Saltburn will know what I'm talking about particularly the graveyard scene, I think just maybe attach a tad to risque for the academies. But anyway, they all the rest of the of the Irish actors that we were expecting will be nominated, unfortunately were not. But there was one there was a wonderful, wonderful day yesterday for Element Pictures. They're the Dublin based Picture house. They were among the most celebrated production companies on the day. Element Pictures. They co-produced this movie, Poor Things. Have to say I haven't uh, seen it. It's got Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo uh, in it and Poor Things got 11 Nominations in total yesterday, and that's the second highest of any other film in the running for this year's Academy Awards, beaten only by Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer walked away with uh, 13. Uh, so, 11 nods for Element Pictures. So, a good day for the Irish. So, what we can do now is keep our fingers crossed and wait for Oscars night to see how they all do. 0818 103 103. We are going to be talking about cash in a little while on the programme and uh, what what happened yesterday with the Finance Minister Michael McGrath bringing forward uh, proposals to uh, Cabinet Charlie in Whelan because we, we discussed it yesterday uh, says he uses cash more than cards but he says one of his big reasons that he prefers to use cash over cards is that so many banks charge you now to have a debit card or a credit card. There's so many different fees now on your account uh, you could get them every, they might be every year, every couple of months or every every month depending on what bank you are with. So there is a cost involved in having a bank card and that's one of the reasons he feels that people should be allowed to stick with cash. And I know that the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, yesterday, uh, it's been reported he will have the power to ban ATM ATM cash withdrawal charges, because obviously there's huge fears that the third party ATM operators may start imposing very high charges for every time you might t- decide to take money out of your ATM. And uh, the changes are all, of course, part of this new access to cash laws that were signed off by the Cabinet Minister Michael McGrath said no decisions had been made on whether these powers will be used, but the powers are contained in the access to cash laws. Now, the Consumer Association of Ireland, they, they have previously raised fears that ATMs would soon start charging for cash withdrawals. And the reason for their concerns were you may remember that Bank of Ireland and AIB both sold off 1,200 ATM machines between them, and they sold them to independent operators. That was back during the pandemic, it was back in 2021. Now, at the time of the sale of the ATMs, commitments were given that there would be no additional charges imposed by the new independent owners for people withdrawing cash, but they wouldn't introduce charges for an initial period of three years. But that moratorium is due to end at the beginning of next year. That's when the three years are up. Now, the central bank will have the ability to regularise the independent ATMs. And, you know, something we mentioned yesterday, they can set standards on service, the hours that they're in operation, but they can also dictate how many denominations must be stacked in the ATM. For example, they can tell all of the independent operators of the ATMs that you must stock 10 euro notes, 20 euro notes and you can't just have 50 euro notes in the machines. The new laws will ensure that the number of ATMs around the country also will stay at the December 2022 levels and that would have been before um, uh, KBC and Ulster Bank closed and obviously there was more ATMs um, affiliated with those uh, banks and all of that is part of the plan to keep physical money circulating in the economy and what will happen is under these new laws if ATM machines in a particular area falls below a certain number then the onus will revert back onto the banks that they'll have to open new ATMs. They can't force independent operators to open them but under these new laws the government can go to the banks and say look that area is without an ATM machine you're going to need to put one in. But there are it's, it's one of the things why you know I think Charlie is right why people I like the idea of being able to use, use cash. It's better for budgeting and all of that. But if you're on a very, very tight budget and you're trying to save money, at every turn that you make you're going to try and cut down on bank charges and the best way to cut down on bank charges is not to use the bank, ch- banks, the bank services and to rely on uh, cash but you need to have the ability to be able to get cash. And a lovely email in from uh, Kate Crowley and the gang at the West Cork Rapid Response to say that last Sunday the West Cork Rapid Response their Jeep launch went fantastically well in Ballinascarty Hall and you know something I was thinking of the gang on Sunday Sunday afternoon because we were right in the middle of, or well, we weren't right in the middle, but um, certainly storm Aisha was blowing up a storm. Anyway, Kate said a lovely crowd turned out to see the new emergency vehicle. It was blessed by the local clergy and of course a wonderful cup of tea was served in the hall. All present were rewarded with the super feel-good ambience that surrounded the occasion with the highlight obviously getting to meet Dr Jason and his family as as well as the West Cork Rapid Response volunteer paramedics and committee who are an incredible bunch of people. So Kate said on behalf of the West Cork Rapid Response she wants to say just a huge thank you to everyone in West Cork who either Came along on Sunday, but for everyone who made this new Jeep possible with their kind donations and the voluntary work with the fitting out of the jeep. Also to all who gave up their time to help out in Ballinasgarthy Hall last Sunday. She said it was truly very much a community effort and there's nothing like when a community pulls together like that. So well done and Godspeed to all of the paramedics when they'll be using that uh, new rapid response uh, jeep and it will be flying around the highways and byways of West Cork but ultimately it will save lives, and that's what it's all about. So well done again uh, to the team. You can text our WhatsApp, 0862103103. Bit of advice, please, now for one of our listeners. Hi, Patricia. Does any of your listeners know much about laminate flooring? And in particular, does laminate flooring fade the reason that i'm contacting you is contacting you is we are thinking of putting laminate flooring in our sunroom but depending on which shop you go to and what they are selling some will tell you it'll be fine and some are saying absolutely no way is laminate flooring suitable for a sunroom now the sunroom does have large glass panels so there is a good bit of sunshine in there during the summer months does anyone who has this type of flooring no are um, could, could give us advice please because we are unsure what to do so we're looking for somebody either an expert in laminate flooring or ideally what we're looking for is someone who has a sunroom did you and have you put down laminate flooring but the big issue is does it fade when the sun is shining in on us, particularly during the summer months. So if anybody can offer advice to that listener before she goes out and invests. It's interesting that she's hearing, you know, the various shops that she's going to. Some are saying, yes, it's suitable, but is that a salesman's pitch? Other salespeople are saying, no, it's not suitable. So that's just a very honest salesman. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, laminate, I have laminate flooring, but I don't have it in a sunroom, so I can't advise on that one. And the government are finalising plans to protect the use of notes and coins with a new access to cash law, meaning that all supermarkets, convenience stores and pharmacies will have to accept cash for payment. Kerry Independent, door Deputy Michael Healy-Ray has welcomed the plans and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Michael.
2: Good morning, Patricia, to you and your listeners.
1: You're welcome. Now, while you've welcomed the government plans, you feel they don't go far enough. Why?
2: Well, I don't want to see. Last uh, March, myself and my colleagues in the Rural Independent Group, we actually brought a debate to the floor of the Dal because we felt that the government were completely abandoning cash and they were driving us towards a cashless society. Like everything in life, I'd actually like to think that they listened to us last match because they're after doing a complete U-turn now and saying that, yes, cash is illegal tinder. And I would hope that they will encourage the agencies of the state, many, remember, who had also gone down the road of abandoning cash. To this day, you can't get the NDLS, the National Drivers Licensing People, you can't get them to take cash. They'll tell you it's card only. Um I'll give you an example. I had to, just actually, no, know, this is just has to come into my head. I paid a bill the other day myself. <clears throat> and there's no harm in saying what it was for. It was for an ad in the Keraman newspaper. And could you believe this? Uh, that was a check I, I sent. I got my check back in the post yesterday from the people who do the accounts for the Keraman newspaper saying, very sorry, we no longer accept checks. It has to be by bank transfer. I mean, such a load of nonsense, whether it's a check, whether it's a credit card, or whether it's cash, people should be very glad to take whatever money you're giving them. And in the same way as the GE thought it was a good idea, and I'm a lifelong supporter of the GE, and and always will be. But like every one of us, we can all make a mistake. They made a mistake. They thought it was a good idea to say that if we're going to a match, the only way you could go, is by paying with a credit card or online. That's nonsense. You should be able to go up to the gate of a match and stick your hand in your pocket and pay in the same way if you're going to the National Plowing Championship. I, I, I adore my annual pilgrimage to the annual plowing, and it's highly well-organized and highly well-ran. But, again, they thought it was a good idea or we'll be hip, hop, and modern, and we'll say no cash. Well, no cash should mean no business because people should say we want to have the choice. And of course, Patricia, there are young people, and you know it as good as I do, and and not so young people, and they tap with their phones, they have their credit card, and they don't want to carry cash, and that's fine. But like everything in life, isn't it moderation and isn't it being willing to do, a, in other words, to be versatile about it? And it's like a shop. If you have a shop, be it a small or a medium or a large shop, you have to be willing to take cash and credit cards, because both of them are legal ways of paying your bills. But I'm glad that the government are waking up to it, because they want asleep at the wheel, and they were driving us towards a cashless society. But their allies you know that they were wrong. And I welcome the fact that they
1: were Yeah, allowed, yeah and and you know, when we were discussing this yesterday in, in advance of you coming on uh, today, uh, we were talking about the fact that, you know, technology can let you down. And in, in the middle of our discussions, one of our listeners contacted us to say they were up in one of the larger uh, city uh, supermarkets or shopping centres and whether it was a power outage or not I don't know uh, but none of the card machines were working and she was warning people if you're planning on travelling to that particular shopping centre need to bring cash with you because they can't accept card payments. So technology can and does go wrong. But
2: of course it does but you can't go wrong if we're able to put our hand in our pocket yeah. and take out notes and pay. I know the thing I always think of if, if you were going along in your car and if you had some sort of an event like cutting a tire or something. Something got wrong. And you might find yourself with a repairman or with somebody who might be in a position to take anything else other than cash. I I would feel a way happier nearly going out the door without my trousers on me than going out the door without cash in my pocket. Because I feel as though you'd be letting yourself open to any type of eventuality or problem happening. In other words, Cash is terribly important to have it shoved in the car somewhere. That well, you know that if we're stuck, you have a couple of bob to pay for for something for some, em- a, for some emergency.
1: And then B- B- Billy in Clonakilty was making the point that because we were talking about somebody was saying that they were in a restaurant at the weekend and it was card only, and there was signs everywhere saying card only, but they couldn't get over that when they went up to pay, there was a tip jar. Look, they were taking tips in cash, but yet it was card only to pay for your bill. And that led Billy and Tanakilty to say, what if he went into a restaurant that was only accepting cards and he ordered his dinner and he ate his dinner and then he went to pay and he doesn't deal with uh, debit or credit cards. He only has cash. He said, you know, he said, would the business say, well, then off you go, I'll give you a free dinner. I don't think so.
2: I'd say he'd finish up washing the
1: dishes. (laughs) (laughs) But but I can't see, I mean, a business will have to, in a situation like that, they'll have to take cash off the man. But
2: of course they would. And you see, I'd like to see it being put up to a business like that. In other words, just as you say, when you would be finished doing the shopping or eating the dinner or whatever, and you would say to the person, I owe you 20, 30, 40 euros. And stick your hand in your pocket and handing it to them. And then they're saying, well, we won't accept that. It's like the geniuses yesterday that sent me back my cheque. I can tell you one thing now. They're going to be waiting a while before I'll send them another method of payment. Because they'll be coming to me a good few times before I'll go to them. Because I sent them a cheque in good faith, paying my bill, and had a copy of the statement, and they had the cheek... And the audacity to send the whole lot back to me saying, very sorry, we don't accept this anymore. Well, as far as I know, if you have a check, and if there's money to to back it, no more than the credit card, then there's money to back that. I think they should be forced to take it. And if it doesn't suit them, tough look on them. And if their methodist systems, if they're after changing, tough look on them. If you owe a bill, and if we're good enough to come along, which of course you should and pay your bill, for somebody to go you up their nose and post it back to you and saying, oh, we're not accepting that. We no longer, actually what it said was, we no longer accept checks as a method of payment. Well, they never told me. how. I never heard anything about that. And uh, when, when I engaged their services, it didn't say, by the way, we'll only accept payment by certain ways. I mean, this thing of bank transfers is fine for people who are good on their phone and who are, know, and, and have
1: uh, good broadband. That's right. And I know you, you need it. to have good broad, broadband. But do but do you accept that there has been a fall off in cash payments, particularly since the the pandemic? I was looking at figures yesterday. It's down forty. There's forty five percent decline in cash payments.
2: It, it it's frightening, Me actually, it's something like twenty billion to thirteen billion. Yeah. But, you know, the only answer I'd give you to that is isn't 13 billion still an awful amount of money to be transacted in Well, cash? that's
1: true. That's true. There's, there's so still people you who right. feel cash is king.
2: You, you are right. It's a savage reduction. But my goodness, there's a lot of deals and a lot of money going in and out over a counter for 13 uh, billion. So we would have to say that cash is important, not just to older people. I'm fortunate enough have grandchildren now and I'd always like to think that we'd be able to just take hand in her pocket and give um,
3: give them a, a few bob yeah to,
2: yeah it yeah. could be your own or somebody else's and isn't that a nice thing to be able to do? What are we supposed to say? Oh, well, I'd like to give you money, but I only have a credit card, so I can't really give you anything.
1: Do you know what that's all is? For? Yeah, somebody says, whatever will happen to little children and their first Holy Communion uh, money. Are you happy, though, that the Central Bank will now have the powers to compel banks to provide ATMs in areas where people have difficulty withdrawing cash? I mean, and that, let's be honest, that is going to be rural areas and is rural areas.
2: It is. Well, I saw... What our banks tried to do to us, for example, in the area that I represent, we had a situation that banks in places like Kinmare, Castle Island, Carraibi, where we have fine banks providing a great service, they came along and made an announcement that were going to shut them all down. Now, thankfully, there was such a public outcry from the people and uh, politicians of all groups and and gatherings. They all objected, and thankfully they listened. But uh, I think our banking services should be provided in rural areas. And if you don't have a bank, uh, of course you should have an ATM. Now, not every place can have an ATM, so you would be hoping that they would be closely enough, and I believe that's in the proposal, that they will have to have a, a service. Because, again, and another thing, this thing of stocking them with only 50 euro notes, that's rubbish. There should be fivers, tenners, and 20-euro notes inside those ATMs as well, and uh, to cater for all types of transactions that people want to get money out in. So
4: okay.
2: I believe cash is important, credit cards are important, and checks are important. And send a message to all of these people that are accepting money and that are in business you should be damn glad to have business. Business is tough enough at the moment. In the great town of Killarney, for example, many, many small businesses are closing and in places like Killargs and around the Kerry where we are the tourism capital of the Western world, and we're still finding it difficult to keep small businesses open. So when a person has a business, whether it's cash or any other method, they should be willing to accept it because to make yourself welcoming to all
1: types and categories. Of- yeah, and don't be, don't be excluding people. Neve in Cork uh, says, Hi Patricia, I'm delighted to hear this discussion around cash. I'm a 42-year-old. I'm never without cash in my wallet. I do not like to rely on technology and to me, cash will always be king. I hope more people will start to feel the same. People are too reliant on tapping their watches, their phones, etc. It actually puts me off using a business if I walk in and see the sign that they don't accept cash. Uh, someone else says, A good man Michael Healy Ray cash is king that's from John in Mallow and a West Cork listener says this is welcome news about the use of cash uh, because I limit the amount of times I use my cards the reason being banking fees have gone very expensive sometimes I've been overcharged by the bank I've ended up having to ring them on one occasion I was on the phone for four hours to get my money back as they say cash is king keep up the good work from a West Cork listener so there is a lot of people who genuinely are happy uh, to hear and see that uh, cash is going to remain uh, in place and just finally i mean i'm assuming you would agree with james boland of the irish rural uh, link he's saying that the the digital transformation is happening too fast and that we have to face up to the fact that it is inconvenient for for many people
2: well it is but you see it isn't that we we we, we can't evolve and get along with things. It's like we all got used to using mobile phones and some of us are not as good as others. I know I'm not as good as other people. Like I say, I can't do internet banking on my phone. Uh, I'm not able to do transfers or anything like that on my phone. I know that many of my family members and many of my friends, they're all geniuses at it. Some people are better than others when it comes (laughs) to technology. But, like, can't we just take it like that man says? Can't we take it easy? And we don't all have to, my late mother used to always say, if they all run to the river and jump in, does that mean to say that you would want to do that? So?
1: <laughs> why like, You
2: don't have to do it. <laughs> A wise like, woman. <laughs> if, if we're all being shoved this way, that way, the other way, can't we just be ourselves? And if cash, do you use cash and, uh, and whatever, and just let everybody be individual, but don't go down the road of, Oh, well, we have to do this because it's the thing to do. A person made a very important point there about the charges. When you deal in cash, you're literally just, uh, do not doing your transaction. But when you're dealing with credit cards, there's always charges. And plus then, another aspect of it, privacy. Like somebody somewhere then has an account of where you spent your money, whether it was a cup of coffee or whether it was a box of cigarettes or whether it was this or that you were after paying for Somebody has an account of it somewhere. Whereas if you use cash, it's your own business what you're doing. And your nobody cash.
1: knows what you're getting up to. All right, listen, exactly. we got, we've got to leave it there. Just uh, Margaret says, well done, Michael Healy-Ray. Common sense as usual. Listen, Michael, thank you for that. Have a lovely day and thank, thank you for joining you. us. Good morning yeah. to you. That is uh, County Kerry uh, Independent uh, doll Deputy Michael uh, Healy-Ray. Uh, and... Another listener, no name on this, says you would be informed. or this is on Bill in Clonacilty, who was saying if you went into a, into a restaurant, ate his meal, and then went up to pay, and they said card only, and he says, don't deal in card, only have cash, even though there's signs up saying uh, card only. He's wondering what would happen. Uh, I think they'd accept his cash, but Michael Healy Ray reckons they'd have him washing uh, dishes. Somebody says you'd be informed at the point of ordering your meal that it's card only. It doesn't happen after the meal. Well, I think that was Billy's point. Billy was saying that he would, he would have read and seen the sign that it was uh, card uh, only but he's on a point of principle saying I don't like to deal with cards I want to deal with cash so what would happen? And final one cashless society is good only for criminality it stops drug dealing people working on the sly in the black market where there is a money trail it's doing nothing wrong why worry? Well the other flip side of that is having cash for some people they feel is doing nothing wrong and they should be allowed to have the choice. And just while we're talking about cash is king and how some people don't like to use bank cards because of the costs that are, are involved with the banking uh, charges, I did see uh, Charlie Western is writing in the Irish Independent uh, today to say that the current account fees for permanent uh, TSB customers are to increase. Uh, almost half a million customers will be affected by the fee hike. It's on the Explore current account. Uh, And I know I was reading the article earlier, they're going to be writing to everybody affected. So if you're with Permanent TSB, who've changed their name, I think, to PT uh, they are increasing uh, charges. 0818 103 103. Now once again the topic of no bus shelter on one side of the road in the town of Butterfint was raised on the programme this week with listeners saying it's very unfair particularly in poor weather conditions for people who want to travel in the limerick direction having to stand out in all of the elements. Local Councillor Liam Madden uh, was listening to our discussion and he's contacted us and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you Liam. Good morning, Patricia. Now, now, Liam, the National Transport Authority say installing a bus shelter northbound presents a number of challenges. Do you understand the challenges that the National Transport Authority is talking about?
5: Um, no, Patricia, and, and I, I suppose um, just coming up to Christmas there, I suppose the 17th of December as well, I suppose there was an announcement by the NT and, and I suppose Cork County Council in conjunction in, in relation to bus stops, bus shelters, and in, in all of North Cork, um, a, a program and to make them wheelchair accessible. And the one thing that did come out that day as well was that no one should have to get wet, and, and that statement was made that no one should have to get wet at a bus shelter or, or a bus stop, right? And that is one of the things that I've been on and on for uh, the last three years. So you know that was an acknowledgement. But getting back to to Botvin, and I suppose um, the wheelchair accessible was done first. I suppose that which 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 was great. And I suppose when 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 Botvin came up initially, and and the two shelters, but we won't go back there. But that was um it, it was in the minutes of a municipal meeting, Tuck meeting. It, it was agreed there would be two shelters. And I suppose as we went along, the first thing that came up was that um. There was a survey done, and there were not enough people using the bus and And I discovered that survey was actually done during COVID. Ah, that, that was the first thing. So the next thing that came up, obviously, was um, that um, we'd say, for instance, that it wasn't suitable the, the shelter. There was, there was cables. Um, and things there as well. Right?
1: Yeah, they say, um, I, I, I can quote because I have it here in front of me, yeah. they say that a telephone broadband for air utilities would have to be rerouted to accommodate the foundation of the bus shelter and they're saying that that could, uh, air are saying at the time it could cost up to €50,000 yeah. to move the utilities.
5: Yeah, and and I suppose I, I was speaking to engineers um, outside of the council and people in relation to that and, and they said there was ways of doing that of minimising that cost as well um, now where NEDs looked at and the other thing is at our municipal meeting as well we we, we said okay there is other type shelters there is and I've seen other type shelters and there could be different type shelters could be installed and there could be a shelter probably installed onto the wall there there's there different things could be done there they never came into play either um, now the demand there is increased enormously. Um, we have um, a lot of Ukrainian people. But as well as that, we have people that go to St. Joseph in Charlottesville. And, and I, I have said this as well, that go on that bus, which is hugely important. It, it's a fantastic service. Every day I'm on the road and meet that bus, whatever way I'm going and and, you know, to see the service. But we, without, without our shelters, and I suppose... Then they were saying there was access problems as well. That there was two there was ways people coming out and so forth. No, there is one person coming out there. There's an access coming out. But there is a very wide footpath in Botswana, as everyone knows. There's very wide footpaths, and the person coming out of where anyone coming out and there would still have to observe safety because they were crossing a footpath. There's an entrance in the other side which has been open for many many years. I know Botswana well, and um, So, you know, the last few points I made to the council, the last meeting I I had with them in relation to this. Now, unfortunately, we have not met with the NTA on this. They have not met us. And it's a pity because in few points there and in in relation to what I said, um, they all need to be revisited and the, a different type of shelter. And yeah, th-
1: think think outside the box. If if laying yeah. the foundation is going to cost too much money, then yeah. look at alternatives, is what yeah, you're, is and what you're suppose, saying. And is it, there any plans for the NTA to maybe come and address a local meeting?
5: No, not. And, and, and I suppose the, the big thing we have at present is the safety, and, and that is the, the, the safety aspect of people congregating in one shelter and as we know here the weather is, is, is bad and people are and they are crossing the road in when a bus comes and as anyone knows crossing the end point.
1: It's a busy so. road
5: and I suppose the other big thing there Patricia is the local link I know people from the Scotland and I know people that have come in from the local link um, to the express bus, they're going to Limerick they're going to Cork, they're going to Mallow and that is that has increased the usage as well, or the amount of people use it. And we need all these points to be acknowledged. And we, we need Cork County Council here as well to support us totally in this.
1: OK, and then the other issue that got addressed was uh, while there's one, at least there's one bus shelter in Butteridge, there's two in Ballyhay, but there's yep. none in the town of Charleville.
5: Yeah, and, and um, Charleville, I suppose, there, there has been it has been going on for a few years there in, in relation to... The location of them, where, where there, because there were talks of relocating the the bus stops in Chalford, and I suppose that has that has changed now. That's probably going to happen now as well with the changes in charter due to works that are going to be done in 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 different the pedestrian crossings and so forth there. So at present. I'm not sure where exactly the Okay, I've
1: literally just as we speak got in a statement from the NTA because they do explain that bus shelters is the statutory function of the NTA because I think countless times people were blaming the council. It isn't up to the council. It is the NTA. Now, they talk about it's quite quite a lengthy statement but, you know, they talk about the history behind trying to get the bus shelters in uh, Charleville. They say in 2022 it was planned to put in the shelters at both of the bus stops on Main Street in uh, Charleville. However, they say We understand that these works were stymied due to complications relating to local authority parking bylaws. In addition, we also understand that these works cannot proceed until complications relating to parking bylaws are addressed by the local authority. So the NTA are very much putting this back on Cork County Council and saying that it's uh, the council's delaying it.
5: Yeah, and and I suppose if you look at that situation now in in relation to the shelters and all that have been uh, been sanctioned there last um, last year. There was there was a lot of bus shelters sanctioned last year, including Grenada and they have not been done yet. Um, like Grenada is on on the N twenty, it's a really exposed place, and as well as that, we've put in in relation to New Tupper House and all that. And and it, it it's interesting there that the NTA have came back there in because the the thing has been ongoing. Mm-hmm. And and, and it, it's still ongoing now, on account of the, the 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 measures that are going to be done in Charfield now, due to the, the fatalities in Charfield as well. And I suppose that's one thing what we're trying to do as well here in Bushment is 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 make sure. That doesn't happen. Yeah. someone crossing the
1: road. Absolutely. And I do know the NTA, they say they are collaborating with Cork County Council and they are commencing the rollout of an agreed programme of shelter installations and they'll happen yeah. uh, throughout Cork County uh, during 2024. Listen, before that, you go over about a minute and a half left. I spotted a piece on the Corkman newspaper over uh, Christmas where I saw you were quoted somebody, I, I, and well, I don't know if it was more than one person, the rubbish that was dumped in uh, Buttovent, and, and I'm assuming the council then had to clear it away. Did that happen Christmas week?
5: It bags did, of yeah.
1: bags of rubbish.
5: It did, unfortunately, and I suppose the timing was, you know, in relation to services and getting it collected and so forth. But unfortunately, it, it did happen again um, um, in a couple of weeks ago. and. I suppose there was a no cry on Facebook in relation to all, and and it seems the rubbish was removed. Um, we we don't know what happened, but it was it was removed. Um, but it it's obviously there is someone knew the collection was the following day, and obviously was, was 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 dropping rubbish, and and that is that is another problem has beginning to happen now, even out the countryside when people are putting out their bins, mm. where the where they see rubbish being put rubbish when they go back in the cedar bin, they see their bin nearly full. Someone has added, added rubbish to Whoa, their bin. Oh,
4: that's
5: a bit but, mean But I suppose at least Patricia, it's not thrown on the road. It it, it, it it has been put into the bin, you know, um but you know they are they are it, it was disgraceful really that And it
1: was domestic. It was they were bags of domestic. Were there yeah, it was domestic rubbish that's right. any way of finding out who was, was who we no, to identify the, the culprits?
5: The um the yeah, they are still investigating. I know that, that, that there's a very good track in relation to the litter and he he wanting that he will pursue if he gets any bit of evidence at all he will keep it at, at present I don't have any update in relation All
1: to right, that. It's shocking. It's 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 shocking. And somebody didn't just walk along with a bag of rubbish. That was a trailer load for sure. Indeed Listen, Lima, yeah. I have to leave it there. Thank you for that, though, and thanks for joining nope. us on the programme. Thanks. thanks very much. Uh, good sure. morning to you. That is uh, North Cork, uh, Finegal Gael Councillor, Lee Madden. We were speaking about the bus shelters in the last hour and Councillor, Lee Madden, happened to touch on Local Link and what a great service Local Link is. Well, that prompted on you to say, Patricia, on Local Link, my local route is from Moy to Mallow. But my big problem is there's no service on a Saturday and there's no service on a Sunday. And also, the last bus leaves Mallow for Fomoy before four o'clock. How can anybody working until 6pm use this service? The emphasis is all about using public transport, but I feel this service needs to be extended. Can you please draw attention to it? Would others agree? And I suppose if there was if there was enough people that they felt needed uh, the additional uh, you know, an extra bus service later in the day. Anya, I wonder, have you spoken uh, to the 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 people to the bus driver to see if something could be done? I don't know what the need, if there's more people need the service, because I'm, I'm assuming local links are, are wonderful. They're all over the country and they're providing buses in areas that never had buses uh, before. So it's a shame that it's not working out for you. Now, on cash is King and uh, the need to, the government putting in place um laws now that there will always be availability. There has to always be availability of cash. Uh, David contacted us. David is the last Echo boy in Cork City and he sells the Echo outside the GPO in Cork City. He says he can only accept cash or uh, coins. He doesn't have a card machine. But he said the amount of people who come up to him that want to buy a copy of the Echo and only have a card and uh, David has to say no. So unless they can go to a machine and take some some money out for uh, David, he's going to lose out on the uh, sale. Uh, So there's somebody who very much believes that cash is king. Pat Infamoy says if a shopkeeper has has an ATM in their shop they're charged to provide this service the ATM company provider charges the shop owner a fee uh, is a Michael Healy Ray aware of that and I'm sure he is. Well, there are a number of uh, shops like the idea of having an an ATM because they can bank off their money at the end of the day. I know I was uh, talking with a shopkeeper once and they were making the point that they don't have to go to the bank anymore where they would have to be going to the night safe and everything goes into the ATM machine uh, instead. So I I don't suppose nobody forces a shopkeeper to have an ATM. That's a choice that the ATM the, the shopkeeper themselves uh, make and I'm sure if it's costing them a lot of money a lot of shops will be getting rid of the ATM John O'Donovan from the City was on to say we all was, saw what happened in the UK with the post office scandal I'm assuming most people are aware of that programme Mr Bates versus the post office anyway John says is that not a prime example of when technology go, goes wrong what can happen and the effect that it had on all of the people involved so he says it's another reason that we always need Need to keep cash as when things go wrong particularly from a technology point of view and if it's the powers that be they mightn't always be up front to admit that there is a problem and then human beings at the end of the day can suffer Mary in Skibbereen Says uh, PTSB are increasing their fees this morning on using the debit card. So, yet again, slowly it is creeping up. There are extra charges uh, from the bank. This is why we need to keep uh, cash here. That's the story I mentioned that Charlie Weston is writing about in the Irish uh, Independent uh, today. And Tom says businesses don't want to accept cash because banks charge extra for making large cash lodgements. Well, I know, and and I mentioned this. I was over in Devon before Christmas. It was in for the midterm in, in January, in October. And I was in a small little rural pub, you know, that does pub luncheon. Um, and we were up to the, we went up to the counter, to order some drinks and some food. And there was a sign up asking people to please use cash because they were saying the amount of bank charges that every time we used a bank card, they were being charged. So there are some small businesses who prefer to deal in cash. But I did see and and heard a guy, he owns a gastropub in Glenmire, a gentleman by the name of Paul Donal. Donal, He has 100% gone card only, he doesn't accept cash and he says it's been a massive benefit to him. He said there's been a huge saving has been made because taking cash, he said, can be very costly due to the expenses associated with security companies to transport it as well as the bank uh, charges. He said there's no security cost, no bank charges, no servers running back and forth. He said it's a big difference to them when they went card uh, only and he said that when they became a cashless business, it actually allowed him to absorb, you know, the VAT increases and went Back up in September, four and a half percent. He didn't have to pass it on to customers. So, some businesses very much see uh, and save money by going cashless, and others see it a different way. So, I suppose it depends very much on the business. We are running a C103 Insta poll, by the way, asking people, Do you prefer a uh, card or uh, cash? And uh, cash has come out at 75%, with 25% on a uh, card. OK, the laminate flooring advice. Remember, our listener this morning was asking, wants to get laminate flooring put in, but it's in a sunroom. And in the summertime, it's all glass, a lot of sunshine, and the listener is afraid that it will fa- fade. And she's been to a couple of shops and she's getting mixed advice. <laughs> Some shops are saying, yeah, very suitable, it'll be perfect. And then somebody else is saying, no way, it won't be suitable in a sunroom because it will fade. Some, So she's asking us to ask people who have laminate flooring particularly in a sun room for their advice please. Okay some of your comments coming in. Uh, Patricia, yes it will fade like all timber. It'll swell in the cold and rise in the heat. I would recommend to that lady timber tiles. They look just like timber but they actually are tiles. Margaret said laminate floors. Brilliant for floors. I've used them but is it in a sunroom Margaret? That's the problem. We know laminate floors are good but it's in the sunroom that this uh, lady is most interested in. And then somebody went to Great Lens to send me photographs thank you for that and said yes 100% it fades in strong sunlight and Sent on the photographs to uh, prove it. While somebody else uh, lives in Canterbury and says, "I've had laminate flooring in my son' room for years, and it's hundred percent perfect." <sighs> it's an incredible. Somebody a listener has laminate flooring inside her patio door and says, "Yes, it does fade." So, so definitely, we are getting people saying that it does fade. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Maybe those timber tiles that other listeners suggested because obviously they don't fade. Maybe you could look at those. Now, speed ramps in Mallow. Michael has been on and said, would you please warn uh, listeners that there's two new speed ramps have been placed in Mallow Town in St. James's Avenue in Mallow. Both are unmarked and they're large speed ramps so they could cause damage to cars. One is near the bus station near the as you turn off on the park road. And the second is near to the entrance to O'Connell's funeral home. If you're driving in that direction, please be careful. Seamus emailing. Patricia, even in Cork today at C103.ie saying we live on the N72 road. It's got to be the worst road in Ireland when it comes to potholes and bad surface. There are burst tyres everywhere, according to Seamus. Three times it's been marked but the marks are now worn off again. Every time it involves stop and go traffic management. We were told the contractor has been appointed and work was due to start after Christmas. Today I see there are contractors but they're just washing the cat's eyes. Why are they doing that? Now I'm assuming this is the roadworks uh, that we spoke about we got some questions in about it. I don't know was it before Christmas or not, or just after Christmas. The works will commence at the end of January for approximately 25 weeks on the N72 uh, Mallo to Killarney Road. It'll consist of remedi- remediation of the road surface and that will ensure better road safety and also the installation of drainage between Carrigaline and Lislaham. The works are known as the Lyre Danone overlay scheme and it's near the Rathmore side of the N72 between the Colin turnoff and Rathmore and I don't know if that's one and the same as what Seamus is talking about let us know if it isn't three one zero three. and just final one text on this bunch this is from Elizabeth in Bandham to say that she was truly saddened to hear in the news yesterday that Ian Bailey was uh, cremated without anyone in attendance she said regardless of how people feel about Ian Bailey, surely he's close Friends should have been allowed to attend. And I know Ralph Regal is writing in The Independent today and yes, he confirms that Ian Bailey was cremated in a private ceremony at the island crematorium in Ringaskiddy. The arrangements were handled by an undertaker from outside of West Cork. Now, a private funeral service is expected to take place in England and obviously his ashes will be returned there and that's even is following consultations with his UK-based Sister uh, Kay. Ian Bailey's longtime solicitor Frank Bottomer has been liaising with Frank's with Ian's family over the arrangements, and I quote from Frank he says I am authorised to confirm by the next of Kim that Ian that the remains of Ian Bailey were cremated at a private event which occurred earlier yesterday morning. No further statements will be issued by his next of kin with this regard. And it's understood that Ian Bailey's family were very concerned at the potential media focus if they had any kind of a public funeral service. But uh, Elizabeth said it just, it troubled her and it saddened her to think of anyone, you know, any kind of a funeral service with nobody uh, but the undertakers uh, uh, present. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcome. She can text her WhatsApp to 086 Two. 103
0: 103. C 103
1: jobs. Tremaine, GAA. They've got a vacancy for a grounds caretaker. It's to work as part of their community employment scheme. You need to email Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie for further details. Additional needs assistance required for the Rainbow Club in Cork. They support children and families living with autism Uh, email your CV marked additional needs assistant please to karen at rainbowclub.ie the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland they're recruiting for a care worker to work in their home care service in the Mitchelstown and Formoy area a full driving license and access to a car is essential CVs please to recruit at alzheimer.ie and a veterinary receptionist Slash office administrator is wanted for Kanturk. CVs please to egmountvetpractice at gmail.com or phone them 029 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. This is C103.
0: Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
1: The delay in transferring ophthalmology services from Cork University Hospital to the two new theatres at the South Infirmary Victoria University Hospital has been condemned as a waste of public money. Fianna Gael North Central Dole Deputy Colin Burke is raising his concerns with the Health uh, Minister and he joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Colin Good morning. Now I suppose we need to get a bit of background to this. Can you outline the new facilities at the at the South Infirmary and when did all the planning for that start?
4: Well, we started this about um, over four years ago. You know, we have a huge backlog in relation to ophthalmology services. So there was a decision taken that we would move ophthalmology to the South primary. At the same time, we would develop facilities in Balancholic in the new medical uh, centre in Balancholic, and that was opened last week, where we have a number of consultants based out in Balancholic now who are dealing with people... um, where it's medical care that we require as opposed to surgical care. So we have a whole unit now in Balancholy that's open and running. I think we have over 24 staff based there and they're also doing um, ophthalmology care for um, young children there as well. So then the balance of what's in CUH was to transfer to the South Infirmary. Um, I'm on the board of the South Infirmary. um, uh, So we... um, developed a new outpatients unit uh, built a new outpatients unit and we have two new theatres built as well Um, the problem is then that staff and CUH need to be notified about the transfer and then we need to go through the process of not only staff transferring but also in relation to um, the files transferring and as you know at the same time there's also in relation to Mercy the paediatric services are transferring from the Mercy to the CUH. So there's a number of where we're actually consolidating various different areas of healthcare into the one centre rather than they're being spread in a number of different centres. So the problem we have at the moment is that we were assured that this would happen by early November. It hasn't progressed and I'm just concerned about we now have facilities which are technically not being used.
1: To their full potential because obviously they are they are up and running but just not being used to their full potential. No, they're not. They're, oh, they're not. They, they're,
4: they're not being used to oh. in the way that we should be using them. You know, so like we 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 have a huge backlog in ratio shop I've raised it with um, when uh, you know, uh, Tarnish was opening the facility in um, in I Raised it with him. I also raised it with the the clinical uh, director of the. Um, of the HSC and I've also had discussions with the minister for health on the matter um and it's just a case of um of just getting this issue resolved at the earliest possible date. And do
1: you know what is the delay with transferring? Simply going from the CUH transferring it over uh, to the South Environment. What's I think the delay? There, I
4: think there is some issue being raised um, in respect of making sure that there's backup support, say for instance in 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 the in the CUH. Um, where you have someone who has eye injury and is admitted to accident and emergency department. As you know, the Southern Marine doesn't have an accident and emergency department, it's an elective hospital only. And I think that might be one of the issues, but this should have been resolved 12 months ago. We shouldn't have been waiting until everything was finished and then started talking about how we're going to do the transfer. Uh, And this is the problem that really frustrates people in the health service. You know, we've taken on over... um, 40,000 um, people in the HSC over the last five to six years. So we've gone from 103,000 full-time staff in the HSE up to over 143,000. So that's a 40% increase. Um, in fact, the Minister was in before the Health Committee this morning advising that, in fact, the number of admin staff has increased in the HSC from about 18,000 to over 24,000. And in fact, I think the numbers recruited in the HSC is 1,100 more than what was planned for. Um, we now have a problem as public representatives, and it was raised um, privately in the Health Commission this morning, and it, no problem about it, discussing it openly, is that... Um, you know, when, when I put down a parliamentary question on a health issue, if it has to be referred to the HSE, I'm not getting a reply. My understanding is that there's well over two and a half thousand questions waiting to be answered. Um, as a result, there's um, a work to rule on this matter by one of the unions. And I think they, there isn't a valid complaint there because of the fact that we have recruited more staff in the HSE than what was planned for. Well,
3: that- and we
4: need to resolve this issue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when you were talking about ophthalmology, uh, we know that, you know, 24 people went on Michael Collins' uh, bus uh, to Belfast just last weekend to undergo cataract surgery. I mean, if the South Infirmary was fully up and running as it was intended to do, it would pick up a lot of those cases, wouldn't it? Yeah, but
4: it? I think the problem at the moment is that even if we get it up and running, and hopefully we will, and that's why, uh, you know, we, there was a lot of work done behind the scenes to try and get this issue resolved. Um it, it needs to be resolved, um, but even if we resolved it in the morning, we still have a lot of catching up to do in relation to dealing with the substantial waiting list, even just for people for the initial appointment. And I think, in fairness, the Ballincolic Centre now is they're doing very large numbers there. Um, we know, and CUH is doing currently doing numbers as well, but we have, remember, we have major challenges now in the healthcare sector in that The population of this country has increased by forty percent. We've gone up by from three point eight million people to five point two million people in twenty-three years. We now need to build capacity. We have recruited the staff. The you know we have. 40% 40% more staff in the HSE over the last five to six years but it's about capacity of facilities and the problem now is that where we have even built the facilities we're now finding that they're lying idle in real terms
1: It's crazy it's, ju- it's just just uh, crazy and
4: like, These are the issues and I think one of the good things that was opened by and just goes how progress can be made like the Balancholic Centre now that's opened like it has um, a large number of GPs working there it has psychiatric services there it has uh, you know a whole lot of care facilities it also also the ophthalmology uh facility there so there's a huge number of facilities there in balancolic so it just goes to show when we get on and do the work you can actually then deliver the service likewise we need to build a facility in Blarney and Blanmire, like what we've done in Ballincollig to make sure we have that hub. And then, as a result, you will keep more people out of hospital if you have these hubs where you have a whole range of medical facilities available. And I think that's extremely important that we also go down that road. And that's basically, we're working hard at the moment in relation to both Blanmire and Blarney. And I know the HSC staff are uh, doing everything possible to try and get those projects through um uh, and and um hopefully delivered in in not too distant future
1: okay okay and i i, I did see a spokesperson for the south South west hospital group say the plan is to move the uh, service the ophthalmology service in february are, are you confident with that
4: um i I'd like to see it in writing um i'm not i'm not clear that all the issues have been resolved um i think it needs to be resolved, and I don't think we can afford it to be delayed any any further. Uh, We also need to set out a clear plan as regards how we deal with the backlog. We have recruited additional staff. I know it's not the number of staff that we wanted. I think we were looking for uh, 32 additional staff. I think we got 24. So, you know, we have recruited additional staff. We have a huge um, team of people who are very committed to delivering top quality service both in relation to consultants, in relation to um, uh, 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 junior doctors and also in relation to nursing staff and admin staff, a really dedicated team and we need to make sure that they get the support now so that we can get on. And um deliver the service that's required for the, yeah. for, the, for the Cork area, okay, and
1: hopefully sooner rather than later, I just want to have you on the on the line um there's a question that came in earlier, and I said I'd hold on to it because you might be able to uh, answer it. This one of our listeners is having a problem with his vote. He said after seeing a post on Facebook um, over the weekend, uh, a friend of his was not on the register discovered he wasn't on the register, so this listener decided that they would try, and they went on to uh, check the register dot i e uh, to discover that for some reason their name is no longer on the register, he then got family members to uh, check, and he said half of his siblings came back saying they couldn't find theirs either. Uh, what's going on? Is there is there a problem with check the register? And people? No, know. they
4: they should be able to check the register normally. What happens is that <clears throat> if someone um, gets, um, if a, uh, my understanding is that if someone if the local authority is notified that this person is no longer residing there, say a third party notifies them. Then the local authority would automatically write out, looking for the person's details. In fact, I got one of those letters myself in the last um, four weeks. Okay, (laughs) I'm not sure why. (laughs) Um, But then you fill out the form, and one of the things that you do is is the is put your PPS number. But you can register online. Uh, I think you have to give your PPS number. But there are other details that they ask for, but they're not that you're not required to give all of those.
1: Yeah, because I know I because I because I did see this come up in recent weeks. There's a number of people on online saying that they're having problems. I know I checked mine and, and, and I'm registered to vote and it's still there. And then I just got a couple of people here in the building. I know uh, uh, Carmel, our receptionist, checked and she's there. John Paul tried to check and he couldn't find his name, but he thinks it's something to do with the double barrel. Uh, and I don't know if it's just people are having difficulty because if you put in your air code, it should come up straight away that you are uh, registered. Not necessarily.
4: We're finding uh, what the register your air code is not necessarily on the... Ah. Okay. <clears throat> on the register. So it it if you might search it under town land.
1: All right. Or, sorry, I'm just the, I'm just being or told. The estate, or yeah.
4: the um but you should be able to find it. Um and the the um the register is, you know, it's a, it's there for people to cross check. Um,
1: and it's important with two <coughs> referendums coming up
4: plus well, two referendums you also have the local and european elections, elections as yeah, well yeah. so i mean but it is important for the two referendums which are not that far away and it's important that people okay. are registered but uh, the the important thing is that you should be able to check it online um Sometimes you have to check it against Townland, and then are against your address. The, your address.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
4: you should be. Approved. Yeah, actually,
1: Carmel. Our receptionist just said, yeah, the air code didn't work for her, but when she put her <coughs> address in, it came up. All yep. right, okay. All yep. right, listen. Thank you for that, uh, Colm, and Thanks for joining us. You're uh, very good well. morning thanks. to you. That is uh, Cork North Central Doll Deputy uh, Colin Burke. Uh, 0818 103, 103 And if anybody else is having problems with check the register, or you want to find out if you're registered to vote, and it is important to do it with the two referendums coming up and the local and Europeans it's simply you go on uh, check the register.ie but it looks like the air code part doesn't seem to be working but if you put in your street and town's land your vote should come up. Now Irish householders are hoarding mounds of broken or unused electrical items with 84% of us admitting that we hold on to gadgets that we never use. So as the new, New Year's resolution, householders are being urged to get involved with recycling much of that electrical waste and to explain more I'm joined by Elizabeth O'Reilly and Elizabeth is with We Ireland. Uh, Good morning to you Elizabeth.
6: Good morning.
1: And you're welcome. Any understanding as to why we hold on to especially so many of those broken electrical items?
6: Yeah, I think those smaller items are a bit too easy to hold on to. You know, we put them in the the drawer in the kitchen or if you have space under the stairs or the garden shed, maybe for some of those tools. So it's not as easy to hold on to our large white goods. And so when you buy a new dishwasher or washing machine, the old one is taken away and delivery. The small items, a bit of out of sight and out of mind. And maybe we're holding on to some of them in the case of the phones that might be about 10 years old. They're really no good to us or anyone else, but we, we still have an affinity to, to what we bought and paid for at the time. So I think with this campaign we're trying to encourage people to you know you can recycle all those small electricals for free and really they can do far better for the environment kind of back in the recycling process we can get those materials out for use again and it really does save on mining and sort of is a much more sustainable practice.
1: And the unused um, items Elizabeth I, I take it they're probably just things that we've forgotten about and they're probably in the back of the cupboard
6: yeah completely I'm, I'm i'm as guilty as anyone else of this so you know and i should know better but i definitely have a box of cables under the bed that i think could be put to good use and really there's probably only two or three of them that are of practical use and the rest of them i've forgotten what they were there for in the first place so although those cables you know old remote controls for devices and appliances we don't have anymore i know in my house some broken toys you know that uh that once had a battery and and did something but really aren't of any use anymore so you're right it's it's they're small. We can put them in boxes. We, we can keep them in places that they're out of sight and out of mind. But really, we're asking people to bring them back for recycling. And we know that sort of, of every sort of 10 small electrical appliances that were sold last year, we're only seeing about four of the old and broken ones coming back for recycling. So there's a big gap there.
1: Yeah, I, I got into the habit a number of years ago when I'm replacing something like a kettle or a toaster or a hairdryer or whatever. I bring the old one with me. So as I buy the new one, I hand back in the old one.
6: That's brilliant, you get a gold star for that oh, and, and that, that's, definitely, that's definitely the time to do it and when you intend to but at the same time I think there's probably uh, and this time of year is good you know, you put the Christmas decorations away you're looking at maybe a spring clean, there's probably still a box of stuff that you're not replacing Loads. you know, it's it's old, it's clutter really it's old and broken and that's the stuff we really want to encourage people to to go around get a box of that and bring it back and you can recycle it for free,
1: you don't yeah, have to I buy think, a new piece yeah, of equipment. Yeah, I think this is the important one, there's absolutely no No charge for recycling any of our electrical waste.
6: That's correct. You don't need to buy new to, to recycle the old equipment. So you can bring it to recycling centres near you. The electric or electrical retailers will actually just accept it back. They all have cages in store for, for acceptance. Nobody's going to point a finger at you. You can bring it back there. And we run public collection days as well around the country for areas maybe that they don't have access to. it. So there's loads of options. And part of this campaign is encouraging people to go onto the mywaste.ie, which is the national government website for recycling. And you can filter for electrical collection points and see sites near you so there's loads and loads of ways to do it so you know if you're out doing other jobs and errands this weekend maybe uh, bringing back a, a box of small electrical broken items for recycling could be one of the things to add to the list
1: Yeah I'm a huge fan of the our civic immunity sites, we have wonderful civic immunity sites uh, here in, in Cork and I'm always singing the praises of the, it's mainly guys, I don't know if there's gals but it's mainly always men I meet when, when I go to my, any of my local ones and they're just so helpful aren't they
6: it is, they really are and they do a super job and, and they're brilliant about, you know, if you have advice and you're not sure what container to put something in and it, I actually know myself, it's a real good declutter feeling when you, you've done your day at the Civic site, bring everything recycling and again I know not everybody lives near those, they're they're amazing and, and the people who run them but the electrical retailers will also take back your, your small wee for recycling um, uh, free of charge so even if you're just going to do the Saturday shop, you know, you, you can swing by and bring it in as well.
1: Yeah and if a, a lot of those uh, shops, particularly the ones that come with their own free parking they'll have the cage outside you don't even have to go into the store and you can just place that's, your items in your items in the it. cage
6: That's it and you'll see You'll see they, they advertise we'll take it back and with this new campaign you'll see the posters up everywhere so I think that's the, the message it's free it's easy to do and it's, it's one nice way of helping the environment and doing a positive action without it
1: costing you anything So it's anything with a plug or a battery is, is that kind of the best way to look at it?
6: That's a really good way to describe it. So, you know, all of those electrical tech devices and the things that we kind of forget, you know, old memory sticks that aren't being used, you know, as I said, remote controls for devices that are long gone and, um, you know, small power tools, kitchen appliances, the small ones at on the back of the cupboard that you've never used don't really work. There's a plug piece missing and um, anything with a plug or battery is a great way to describe it.
1: OK, and I think you've answered this. Jennifer says uh, children's toys. You, a lot of children's toys come with batteries.
6: They do. So many of them. I know myself from this house, so many of them make a noise or a flash or a whir And if they do that, they've got, they've got circuitry in them. So those um, toys, obviously, if they can be, you know, repaired or reused again, that's brilliant. We don't want people throwing out things in good working order. But a lot of them are at the bottom of the toy box, maybe with bits and pieces missing. They're not any good. And putting them in the recycling system is the best thing for you. Yeah.
1: Them. And if they're fully working to pop them into a charity shop, they'd be only too happy uh, to take them from you. Now, uh, Lorraine wants to know, could Elizabeth explain when these items are recycled, Recycled. what happens to them?
6: That's a really good question and it's it's brilliant to be able to say here in Ireland we have some of the best um, European recycling facilities um, KMK Metals Recycling in the Midlands they have two big plants in Cobegan and Tullamore and we work with Irish lamps in Athai. so the Midlands for us is a real hotbed of um, first class facilities so we take back all of those electrical appliances and we, we sort them into different uh, what we call families so screens for example go through one process small mixed we as we call a lot of the items we're talking about today go through another and we remove all of the hazardous um, material a lot of the older items might have sort of mercury and lead in them and we don't want them going back into new materials and then we're able to extract and recover all the different types of glasses plastics metals and they can then be used again in manufacturing in Europe. And this is a big part of this kind of European green deal that we're all involved in. You know, we don't want to be mining on the far side of the world for the, you know, components and the materials for the appliances that we use every day, because, you know, it's harder for us to to have line of sight of that. So if we can keep it, keep this in use and don't put it to waste. Just, just by bringing it back to your, your local recycling centre, you're a part of that process.
1: Yeah, you're all doing your bit. And someone else says, could you please ask your expert, who's Elizabeth Aradi from We, what about disposable vapes? Is it true they could be recycled? There's a big push they, on this, isn't
6: there? There is, there is. And I suppose this is, you know, technology... Um, in, in every part of our life is, is, is always advancing and it's really important that you know these items are designed for recycling and that, that's a push of another big part of European legislation. But yeah, we responded to that. I think seeing the amount of disposable vapes that were going in the market and talking to the manufacturers, we've put in place a take back system that works with our blue battery boxes okay. and those devices contain a significant part of them is the battery in them. So you'll see um, our battery boxes will accept back vapes and even in the, the shops themselves supply those disposable vapes have those boxes to put them back in. So in no circumstances should anyone put a disposable or a rechargeable uh, vapour e-cigarette into the bin, you need to put them in the recycling boxes. We can manage them back in the recycling system. And yeah, we don't want to see them littering the streets and we certainly don't want them in your normal rubbish bin. It's it's not good.
1: They're a hard thing to break down, are they, for recycling?
6: Yeah, they are. So I think part of part of that is the information as well. And we're encouraging the manufacturers and the suppliers to make sure to tell people, you know, if they've got sort of the liquid in them, that has to be taken out before it's put for recycling. But we can manage those back in our systems. We have amazing facilities that can deal with all types and shapes and sizes of equipment. If you think of the, the range of electrical devices that are out there, but we can only do that when we get them back in those, you know, recycling containers through the shops and the CA sites. So if, if I suppose people are using them if we can ask them to do their part and put them put small electrical equipment for recycling into the boxes we'll take it from there we can manage the rest
1: okay christmas fairy lights somebody wants to ask about broken christmas fairy lights
6: our broken Christmas fairy lights are a really good example of, at this time of year, the type of thing that we can take back for recycling. So, yeah, roll them up and, or tie them in a knot so they just don't get caught or wrapped around anything else and pop them into the, the recycling containers at your electrical retailer or your CA site. They'll, they'll go into what we call the mixed weed container and we will take them back for recycling.
1: Okay, and Micah says, what about the round disc batteries, the one that you get in a remote control? Can you put those into the blue boxes in the supermarket that collect the batteries?
6: Yeah, those little button cell batteries, any type of batteries can go into those blue boxes. And, yep, you can put them in the supermarkets, the electrical retailers, CA sites. And we also do collections through kind of schools and businesses as well. You might find the place that you're working in has them. So any type of battery that fits into those small boxes. And of course, if you've any queries about sort of the type of equipment on on mywaste.ie and indeed we have information on weireland.ie as well.
1: Yeah, and then mywaste.ie is, is, is great and it'll point you completely in the right direction. Okay, big push start of the new year, we're all trying to declutter this is a good thing to do and it's a great thing to do for the environment. Listen, good luck with the campaign Elizabeth and, uh, thank, thank, you for, you. and thank you for joining us.
6: Goodbye, thank uh, you.
1: Good morning to you, that is Elizabeth O'Reilly of We Ireland. We were talking about recycling in the last hour and how there's a big push to get all of us to clear out the under the, under the, um, under the stairs is a usual place for storing things back of cupboards in drawers maybe a box under the bed but just the small electrical items to please move them on it is a free service you can go to any civic community sh- shops or you can hand them back into any electrical shop as well well that prompted somebody to say Patricia some retailers are not happy to accept old appliances even when you buy something new in the shop they'll say did you buy that original project here where in Mallow Town. can I dispose of fairy lights etc and those other small items that uh, you spoke about. Well I'm surprised to hear that any shop won't take it back because I think there's uh, under the We under we Ireland I, I think there's laws and um, that they must take them back but anyway there's a number. Any of the electrical shops in Mallow will take them back. For example the Sean Hennessy electrical stores on Muddy Hill, the Co-op uh, stores. I can't think of is there any other electrical shops. Obviously if you go to the Civic Immunity uh, site but you should be able to go into any electrical shop and most of them. I know for example uh, Sean Hennessy They have on Muddy Hill, they have a cage, you know, sort of outside the shop where their car park is and you can just place them in there. You don't even have to go into the shop, anything with a plug or a battery. Uh, But please, I think the big thing that they're trying to push uh, is... Don't put it into general waste because that's when they end up in landfill. And if you go on mywaste.ie ie, loads of information on what you can recycle. But it also, wherever you live, you can type in, you know, what town or where you are in the city or county, and it will then it'll all come up. What are the nearest electrical shops to you? What's the nearest civic community site uh, to you? And you'll be able to. Just, but it's to dispose of those electrical items and dispose of them responsibly, please. Dermish was on when we were talking about cash is king and someone had suggested that they always prefer to give tips in cash and Dermot is one of those people. He says, tipping, you should only ever tip in cash because he is fearful that if you add it onto the bill and you pay by your credit or de- debit card, then it goes into the general restaurant revenue and then it will go in to the waiter or waitresses and staff's wages and they will end up paying tax on it. Whereas if you hand it in uh, cash, uh, there's no tax to be paid. And I... I, I I don't know what's the, if that happens or not. I do know, for example, that new laws uh, came in only two years ago 2022 the payment of wages which included uh, tips that came into effect at the end of uh, 2022 and uh, it made it illegal for employers to use tips uh, or gratuities to make up basic wages because that's what some businesses were uh, doing so they, new rules were introduced on how employers share out the tips and service charges among uh, employee, employees I don't know and I'd have to have somebody who works in the industry to answer that if If you get a tip, be it in cash or if it's put on a card and then the the owners of the restaurant divvy it up between all of the staff, do they pay? Tax on any tips? Is it added to their wages and then they're taxed accordingly? I don't. I simply don't know the answer uh, to that. Oh, 0818103103 oh oh Someone in the industry may be able to help us. And then a WhatsApp in. There isn't a name on this. Same Patricia. The HSC have a contract at the at the moment with the FIDA who have an MRI unit in Mallow. It's at the primary healthcare centre. Yeah, I spotted it. It's it was there. It was there last last year. Last time I was with the doctors, I saw it. It's great uh, to see it. Anyway, this listener says at present um, they're doing about 30 HSE patients a day who need an MRI scan and it's been done according to this listener, to reduce the government waiting times. Well done. boss says this Stixer, it appears that this offer will be extended until maybe June, which will be after the local and European elections. All the candidates from the various parties in power will be able to crow on that they've reduced the waiting times in the health system leading up to the election dates. However, I'm sure most people can see through their tactics. But if anyone's on a waiting list, I would suggest ask your GP to refer you and avail of this service. My GP requested an MRI for me yesterday and I had the scan done today. Staff at the mobile unit in Mallow have been busy, they told me, since 7am this morning. It's amazing. It's fantastic service, courtesy of the HSC. But according to this listener, it's for a limited period. So we are now emailing the HSC to find out, is it only for a limited uh, period? And I don't know whether this is just a conspiracy theory that is going to be gone as soon as the local elections are done. And I don't know if any local election candidate, any councillor would be able to say that they have anything to do with influencing what happens in the Department of Health. If it was a general election it might be slightly different but I don't know if that's just a conspiracy theory that it's only going to be there and as soon as the elections are over in June it'll be whipped away again. So we're going to get on to the HSE to find out is it only in situ for a limited period but it's a fantastic service for anyone in the North Cork area or indeed if anybody from the city wanted to travel out if they were in need of an MRI scan because usually you can be waiting for a scan so it's definitely great uh, to see them move out from the city and move into uh, county towns 0818 103 103 on laminate flooring advice still coming in Hi Patricia for the listener who needs the laminate flooring it really depends on the type of laminate flooring that you buy for that sunroom tell the listener that she needs to get a good grade as the cheaper ones definitely will fade and also a tip when you purchase your laminate flooring it needs needs to be in the room where it's going to be fitted for at least a week. Because it needs to get used to the temperature there before you lay it, and that's obviously somebody in the know. Thank you some great advice coming in there. 0818103103 103. and then on Ukrainian refugees in this country, Mary in the city says, at the end of the day, nobody wants to be out of their own country. None of these Ukrainian refugees want to be here in Ireland. I mean, they just want the war to end, and they and they would like if the war had never started, so they would be at home with their loved ones. So Mary's suggestion is instead of bringing in people from the from Ukraine, we've about 100,000, I think, have travelled. Um, why do we not give money to the re- Ukrainian government so that people can live in safe areas of their own country where the war is not taking place? Would that not be a better option for them? And I don't know if that's been looked at or not. But just on Ukrainian refugees arriving in this country, there it is making the papers today that the changes to the social welfare and to the accommodation for the refugees is expected. The new changes are going to come into effect from early next month. This is the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys. It's today she's expected to move on the legislation which is going to reduce the payments for Ukrainians. Now at the moment, Ukrainians receive 232 euro a week. It's the standard rate for job seekers um, that anybody else will be getting in this country, but that's going to drop by a big, big amount. It's going down to 38 euro and 80 cent per week. Uh, If what the minister is bringing today passes the committee stage. It's understood the change to payments will be effect, come into effect from early in February. The policy change also is to offer newly arrived Ukrainians just 90 days of state accommodation. And after that, they're going to be expected to find their own accommodation. All I can say is a good luck with that. Anyway, Ukrainians will still have access to child benefit. They'll also be able to get additional needs payments. That's if they're eligible for it. And by the way, for the 100,000 Ukrainians that are already here, there's no change. The ones that are already in the, the state, their payment and their housing arrangements remain the same. Now, cabinet ministers are also going to meet tomorrow. On Ukraine, about Ukraine, and they'll discuss a new government strategy on migration. It's thought that the integration minister, Roger Gorman, is to give a presentation to ministers and update them on his plans to acquire, build, and lease six reception centres. Now, they've been talking about these. These are going to be large reception centres, kind of similar to what we have in in City West. I don't think they're going to be building anything like City West, but it will accommodate the amount of people that's currently accommodated in City West. One government spokesperson is quoted in the papers as saying in the coming weeks, works will begin on site selection for the new uh, centres, but there is no timeline for it. The spokesperson said they hope to get it off the ground quickly and they believed some of the centres could be in operation before the end of this year and that the government will move fairly quickly on th- these sites. And I mean, while the finance minister, Michael McGrath, said that the main pressure around asylum accommodation is not financial. The government have the money uh, to look after the uh, asylum seekers that arrived, but it's to do with community acceptance. He says the government has made budget pr- provisions for Rodrigo Gorman's department in order to accommodate uh, Ukrainians and also for the international protection applicants. He said, we recognise we have an international obligation and we need to meet those obligations. He said it's an area that's under ongoing pressure. But he said the pressure is nothing to do with finance. It's not that we can't afford it, but it's community acceptance and then trying to find the right uh, locations. And Pat Leahy, is writing in the Irish Times today that the government may not identify those locations for these new reception and accommodation centres for asylum seekers, that they might do it before the local or European uh, elections. Now currently male asylum seekers that are arriving into this country are not being provided with accommodation and with the result that many of them are sleeping in tents and they are predominantly on the streets of Dublin. Leo Varadka the Taoiseach told it all yesterday that more than a thousand people have arrived since the start of the year looking for international protection and of that of that one thousand that arrived since January where, where are we at what are we at today 23rd of January so on the first 23 days, 1,000 people have arrived, 600 of them they haven't been able to provide accommodation for. Now obviously they give, they do their best to provide accommodation for women and children when they uh, arrive. So I assume of the 1,000 people that arrived were 400 women and children and they do their best to get accommodation for them. But certainly the uh, 600 males who are sleeping in tents in Dublin. And an expert group recently warned the government that it could and should be doing a lot more to allay the fears around the arrival of asylum seekers, including avoiding last-minute engagement with communities where it's planning new accommodation centres. The report by the expert advisory group on ending direct provision, submitted to Roger Gorman's uh, Minister Roger Gorman last week, it is understood to warn that the communities need to have and be engaged with much earlier in the process than has been the case with some centers And it's one of the arguments and I think it's one of the reasons that has led to all these protests all over the country. People seem to find out within a a week or two that... uh, so many asylum seekers are arriving and it's the lack of information as to who is actually arriving. I mean, that's what we witnessed in Racket Hall in Ross Grey. You know, the rumours went around that it was going to be all these, you constantly hear the unvetted males and um, unvetted male, military aged men, where those phrases came out of. And then, of course, when the first bus came and there was a big protest outside, it was women and, and children and there was terrifying scenes whereas if community engagement had begun earlier you know, maybe we could have avoided that. But I also think, you know, I'm, I think this idea of the larger reception centres and where they're going to be located is going to be the big one. I mean, to me, they've got to be located uh, near cities and in large urban areas where the infrastructure is there because it's when you, when particularly in Ross Grey, when you close down the only functioning hotel and you hear stories of people in Ross Grey who are already having difficulty trying to get to a doctor or to a dentist and then you're talking about putting extra people who will need those services in into that area, you can understand why locals get uh, upset. And then, of course, we have this very... uh hard right element that infiltrates some of these protests, protests and that's not to say that everyone who protests outside an asylum centre or a proposed asylum centre is far right but unfortunately the far right agitators always manage to worm their way into those groups and therefore everyone then gets branded with the same brush but you certainly can understand why local communities get upset when they hear that there's busloads of people, be they men, women or children, are going to move into their area if you're living in an area where you you're struggling to bring your child to the doctor or you're struggling uh, with a child with special needs who needs to get an assessment or you've got an elderly person who's trying to get a nursing home bed and suddenly you're hearing that, you know, people from outside Ireland are going to be moved into their area putting additional pressure on that area. I can fully understand it. So we'll watch with great interest Roderick Gorman's plans to build these larger asylum centres and where they're actually going to be. 0818 103, 103. John Paul's taking your calls. We are looking for your gardening questions, please, for Peter. You can text or WhatsApp to 086 to 103
0: 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie.
1: If you need help with reading, writing, spelling or numeracy, please contact the adult, Mallow Adult Learning Centre. They're based at the Mallow Parish Centre and you can call them at 022 42642 or you can pop in. They're open half- 9 in the morning until half one Monday to Thursday and then Fridays it's 9 to 12. Duke of Kilty Heritage are hosting Margaret O'Dwyer. Now Margaret will speak on the principal houses in the parish of Barry Row uh, the, on the, to the 20th century. Uh, she'll be in Clonakilty GAA Pavilion and it starts at 8 o'clock, admission 5 euro at the door. And Kildallra Community Development there next weekly The draw is uh, tomorrow 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the community centre. And please note there'll be Cayley sets in the Marion Hall in Ballonhasek this Friday night. And music will be by Ger Murphy with Dancing from Half Past Nine. And the Parents Association of Skull Myrna Trocra in Buttervent are hosting an inter-school table quiz. Gracias. <tose> This Friday night, in Secondary School is open to students from third class to sixth class. Registration will be at 6.30 and it'll start at 7. Tables are for 20 euro. There'll be raffle on the night and a shop available for the small ones.
0: Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
1: Somebody wants to know by text, when did barter Law. When was that uh, done away with? When we were talking about Cassius King and all of that, just in a quick Google search and it seems trade exchange systems and barter transactions are fully accepted by the the Revenue Commissioners for general taxation, Fat and accounting systems. So, so it never fully disappeared. I mean, it was replaced. It was it was twelve hundred BC was when barter was it was at the height and then it got replaced by uh, money. But you can still do a bartering system. You can still arrange it in this country. Hi Patricia, do you know if Newmarket Post Office take old Christmas cards? That's from Margaret. Um, I know I know we mentioned Newmarket Post Office because they're collecting stamps Uh, Mary Nolan in uh, Rock Chapel in Mallow collects uh, stamps and she uses the money, goes out to the missions to Myanmar to a home for nuns that are looking after girls, providing food and shelter. They take stamps. Don't know about Christmas cards. Anybody know somebody taking old Christmas cards in the Newmarket area? If you can help us with that one uh, please uh, do on let me go to some of your Serene. oh sorry I was talking about um, the Ukrainians and there's going to be the change to social welfare for Ukrainians that are arriving in this country it's looking like it will be from from the start of or the beginning of February and then I mentioned about how the government are looking to do new reception and accommodation centres large ones for asylum seekers and how this expert report that came out uh, warning the government that they need to allay the fears of communities and I mentioned Racket Hall in Ross Grey and how you know the words went around that they were all going to be men of military age and then when the bus came up it turned out to be women and children somebody said uh, Racket Hall was not Ukrainians now my apologies if I said Ukrainians I meant to say uh, international protection uh, people women and children uh, was who it uh, was well families with uh, children so my apologies I'm uh, cl- um, the system said social media uh, uh, clearly shows that it does, and that uh, one hundred and three FM, we're actually called C one hundred and three, is slowly turning into a government voice. I'm being uh, accused of. Anyway, on uh, thank you for your text uh, on laminate flooring. Hi Patricia on laminate flooring. We had laminate flooring put into our sunroom with about 13 years and it's absolutely perfect. It didn't fade at all. We got ours from Rhines in Bishopstown if that's of any use to the listener. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm assuming Rhines in Bishopstown are still selling really high quality laminate floors if it has lasted 13 uh, years. Now we know we're having a housing crisis and God knows it gets mentioned very often on this programme Certainly on most news channels and in most uh, newspapers. And a lot of the focus always seems, to, a lot of the focus goes, not always, but a lot of the time it's on first time buyers. And, you know, we all feel so sorry for young couples who are desperately trying to get onto the housing ladder. And when we talk about house prices going up, and when we talk, we, this, only this week we spoke about investment companies bulk buying. Uh, properties And I straight away said, thought of a young couple you know, desperately trying to buy a house and how do they stand a chance against a multi-million investment fund who will buy up every single house in the housing uh, estate. But th- go from first-time buyers to the other end of the scale to older uh, people. There's seemingly... Uh, there is there there is a problem at the other end as well because there was a forty percent increase in older people experiencing housing difficulties last year when you compare it to the previous year, and these are figures coming from the charity uh, alone, who obviously very much support and help older people. So today there are two charities are going before TDs and senators, uh, telling them that there was a significant rise in the number of older people receiving notices to quit. Yeah. <laughs> dealing with increasing rental costs and also being forced to live in poor conditions and many of them going on then to experience homelessness. A loan which represents older people along with the housing charity Threshold will be telling politicians and senators today that action has to be taken to ensure that elderly people have access to suitable, secure but more importantly it has to be affordable housing. Now if you look at the central statistics figures, the figures that came from from our last uh, census, they show that the number of older people in private rental accommodation doubled between 2016 and our last census in 2022. A report from the two charities which was published last May found older renters faced a double Deficit when it comes to housing due to either unsuitable accommodation, and then there's a lack of security and stability, or there's a lack of planning for housing the age cohort. The report at the time advised the government to ensure that a quarter of all of our social housing is set aside for older people. They also uh, were, to, were it was recommended that they continue to invest in the housing adaptation grant scheme. They need to provide initiatives for private landlords and to ensure there is adequacy within the State pension and definitely the housing Uh, adaptation grant that's uh, there that needs to be pushed more to help older people so that the houses that they are uh, living in that they're able to stay in it longer you know be it something like maybe installing central heating maybe a stair lift put in or any other vital work that will you know adapt the bathroom that will allow the people to remain living in that particular house. Alone say while the focus in housing is mostly about first time buyers the very point that I was making uh, practical things they say can be done to improve housing for older people now and the charity set out 12 recommendations to address uh, the issue in the private sector for the older uh, renters and then threshold um, they say uh, they're urging the government to enshrine the right to housing in the con- the constitution. But I mean, it must be—it's you know—it's a—it's a nightmare for anyone who's in private rented accommodation if they get that letter in the post or an email or a knock on the door from the landlord to say, "Sorry, you've got to move out because I'm I'm selling up," and that becomes a nightmare for families or for single people. But if it's an older person, it must be extremely difficult for them to try to find affordable accommodation, particularly if they. Want want to remain living where perhaps they've lived all of their lives. 0818 103 103. We are looking for your questions for Peter, please. If you have a gardening question, you can get it in. You can text or WhatsApp in a question as well to 0862 103.
0: 103. Cork Today on C103 With Corrigan Insurances McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group, for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie
1: Peter Dowd on theirishgardener.com uh, joining us. Uh, good afternoon to you Peter.
3: Good afternoon Patricia, how are you? I'm
1: very well, you survived both of the storms anyway.
3: We came out the other end and would you believe, I was just thinking about it there before we came on air, since I spoke to you last Wednesday it's been a difference of about 20 degrees in temperature yeah. <laughs> in one week, isn't it crazy?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's unreal, I had Alan O'Reilly on from Carlo Weather and he was saying the same thing in one 24 hour period it went from 18 degrees of a difference, it's just it's it really is nuts and a lot of the gardens got a bit of a bashing, I mean I was looking at my tree some of my tree ferns got a real bashing but then their last year's fawns or whatever they're called so they're, they're they becoming, are. And, and, off and anyway. the,
3: the plants that, that would be susceptible to frost damage, such as your tree fern and some canna lilies and, and more kind of tender and exotic plants. They, they, if they were protected with fleece or something that, that would be fine. Um, but if, if not, they might be at risk or they might be, well, they would be at risk and they would be vulnerable. The only thing is that the cold snap didn't last that long. It, it was very cold when we went through it and it might have seemed long to you and I, but not necessarily to plants. Most plants can take th- that drop in temperatures for a few days. If it's a prolonged period, is when they're really at risk, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Somebody's saying we mentioned ash Dye back yesterday on the program because we were talking about trees that got, you know, would have gotten loosened and damaged between the two uh, storms and the whole issue of ash dieback uh, came up on the programme. Somebody said, could you ask Peter, how would I know if I had ash dieback? I've got ash trees in my garden.
3: You know, from looking at it, it it's a very easy one to spot, Trish, unfortunately. Uh, and it, it's... it's. Um On in relation to the storms, that uh, the 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 dieback will reduce the vigor of them, of course, yeah. But they're also quite shallow rooted, and they're prone to coming down in storms anyway. So yeah, it is a risk. But how you spot it is if really during the winter, it's that much harder to see. It's it's not easy to see during the winter months right now. But when it's in leaf, it's very obvious because you'll just see. Uh, where the crown should be good and green you'll just begin to see uh, quite a lot of dieback just as it sounds um a lot of the, the starting at the extremities uh, you know starting at the outermost of the the branches you'll see the, the, them dying back apparently seemingly randomly but that's that's a kind of classic symptom that that's what it is
1: and it is spreading isn't
3: it oh it is spreading yeah it's a de- desperate bloody t- affliction uh, i thought a few years ago they were getting on top of it but um it, it, no, it seems to be as bad as ever. No, I must do my home, more homework on it because it's a very good friend of mine who's a who's a kind of an expert on it, uh, and I must I must sit down with him for half an hour and find out what the latest is oh, and yeah. what's the latest in terms of of, of um, any treatments.
1: Yeah, because it's a native Irish tree. It's important, isn't it?
3: Well, it is, and uh, for the GAA as much as for everybody else, because of course we make the hurleys from it. But yeah. but um, yeah, I mean from the point of view of biodiversity and just species extinction we don't want to be losing a such an important native species no because ireland is you know we're not blessed with masses of native species of plants or or masses of in number we don't have that many native species so we don't want to lose one as important as the ash
1: Okay, now we sent on this picture that came in earlier uh, from a listener to say, I got this plant a few months ago. Beautiful coloured leaves. It grew very fast and even has white flowers. I wonder if Peter could put a name on it, please. And it is gorgeous. I do love the colour of the leaves.
3: <coughs> I had a quick look at it, Tricia. Yeah, uh, John Paul sent it on to me on WhatsApp, and it is gorgeous, but it's Coleus, C O L E U uh, S. But the bad news, if you like, is it's not going to last forever. It's an annual plant. So you'll, uh-huh. you'll really only get the one growing season from it. But those white flowers, if you want, will turn to seed. So if you want, you could um, you could collect the seed, dry it out, and and sow it again for next year. But the great thing with the coleus is you get these marvellous leaf colours. But if you try growing from, some from the seed you 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 get seedling variation. You get lots of different leaf colours in your seedlings. They won't all, maybe none in fact, might be exactly the same as the parent plant. So you get lots of different leaf colours. It, it's great fun and it's worth a try.
1: OK, and as she's saying on presents, uh, Liz got a beautiful Christmas cactus. It's now stopped fla- flowering. What do I do with it now? Says Liz.
3: Uh, if you want on on Friday this Friday on the Today Show with Dahi I'll be showing him how to uh, how how to propagate house plants so you can grow more house plants and, and do them from free. I'm not sure if we'll get time to do the Christmas cactus or not, but it's quite straightforward actually to propagate from it. Easier than you might think. But if you don't want to propagate and you just want to mind it, uh, there's little enough you need to do really. You do. It's not technically a cactus, actually. Um, so you can water it and, and you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't keep it damp, but at the same time, I wouldn't let it go bone dry, particularly for any for length like of period either. It, but it's quite, it's quite forgiving. Those, those segments, those stem segments are actually, uh swollen with water so it, it will give you plenty of notice if it needs water it'll get quite limp and droopy and then you can you can give it some and it'll it'll fill it up again um if you think it's too big for the pot in other words if it's kind of falling over and maybe bringing the pot with it you could certainly repot it uh, into a good open compost or plenty of grit you could do that at this time of the year um and apart from that just keep it somewhere you know indoors relatively warm and and sunny and and little enough and it'll do its thing then it, it sometimes it does take a break so if it flowered very well this christmas it may take a break next christmas but it'll flower again the year after so it flowers then every christmas or every winter except for the odd years when it takes a break
1: okay hi peter my snowdrops are in containers and this is the second year they're doing poorly should i be feeding them or would i be better off moving them out into the garden later on
3: I think you'd be better off moving them out into the garden. Yeah, you shouldn't really need to feed um, uh, snowdrops or any bulbs, really, because the the, the bulb is the swollen food reserve, so it should be getting its nutrients from the soil. Uh, But if it's in a container, particularly if it's been in a container for a few years, the nutrient levels might be quite low. So I would suggest moving it out. And snowdrops, in fact, uh, they're better planted out, what we call in the green. I never grow snowdrops from bulbs planted in the autumn. It's a much better, more successful way to grow them is The way she's describing, you have them in a container Uh, when the flowering has finished, which would be in a a month's time, depending on the variety. um, uh, Take it out of the container. You could divide the clump into several smaller clumps. or You could plant out all one clump, but into the ground. uh, And I'd say next year then they should be getting all they want from the soil.
1: Hi, Peter. How can I make my halibores healthy? They're looking very tired this year.
3: The, I can't say exactly, obviously, because I can't see them. So, if she, if she wants to send us in a photograph, we'll have a look at it certainly. But a couple of rules of thumb for the hellebores: the, the 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 Christmas rose is Helleborus niger, or then you've the Lenten rose, which is Helleborus orientalis. But it's the Lenten one which is actually probably in flower now. It normally flowers early, and they're really, really beautiful shades. What I would say, a great tip if you're not doing it already, is remove all the foliage towards the end of the year. Now, if you haven't done it, it's certainly not too late. The reason for that is twofold, Trish, because it get lots and lots of leafy growth with these uh, Hellebore orientalis, and um, and it obscures the flowers you don't see the flowers because there's so much leaf so you won't harm the plant at all by cutting those leaves back to ground level so you really get to see and enjoy the flowers and even just doing that on its own can make them look that less tired if you know what i mean they'll look more vibrant but equally the, the other benefit of cutting back the leaves is hellebores particularly the orientalis type they do tend to get a, a the hellebore black spot which is, as it sounds a black mottling on the leaf and it's not really doing much damage to it. It is a fungal problem, but it's quite unsightly. And again, it, it does decrease the overall vigour of the plant. So when you're removing the leaves down to ground level to show off your flowers, you're also then removing that leaf spot. So you're helping the plant and the new leaves that will come should be fine. So maybe that, that removing the leaves, plant them in a, a semi-shaded position. I wouldn't worry too much about feeding again, except with just good organic matter around the around the base of the plant. That's some good compost, homemade compost, even a bit of farmyard manure or anything like that Um, and and then they should be fine.
1: Okay, and Aoife is moving into a new uh, house wants to set a new lawn. Uh, Is now the right time of the year to do it? Someone at work told her she shouldn't be doing it until next September.
3: Somebody at work is right to a degree that you shouldn't be doing it right now uh, but you don't have to wait till September, no. March is actually probably the perfect month for, for doing the lawn so you don't have to wait that long. But... Uh, you you can't even work the soil at the moment because it's so it's so saturated the the frost that we had if you were working the soil preparing for march sowing so which means digging over the soil removing any perennial weeds um removing big stones and things of like that, getting ready for the seed. You could do all that work now before March, provided the soil wasn't saturated. The, 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 the cold spell we had actually is perfect for that preparation because the soil tends to be drier and the frost breaks down the clods. Um, so once the soil is dry enough, you could certainly start your preparation work, but you wouldn't be setting seed at all until no, till March.
1: OK, and Helen wants to know, ash from the stove, is that useful in the garden or is it harmful to the garden?
3: absolutely useful provided you're not burning coal which we're not allowed to anyway but if if you're burning uh, wood ash, you know, just just normal wood, and um, then that's absolutely perfect to add. What I do is, well, sometimes I'm I'm very lazy and I just throw it around the base of my roses and things of like that. But um, I suppose the perfect and there's no harm in doing that either. Just you know, spread it thinly. The 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 best thing to do really is just add it to your compost bin and just let it mix away. It's it's full of potash and potassium, which is great for promoting root development during the winter, but also flowers then later in the summer.
1: Okay, and a text was said. I've never set seeds before. I'd love to give it a try is now the time to do it?
3: Yes and no. So it depends what you're setting seeds of okay. um, without going too far into it. If you're a lot of seeds, a quick Google search will tell you which to do when. But if, if you're growing plants, be they edibles or ornamentals uh, from seed, you could start a lot of them off indoors in seed trays at the moment, which means that in a few weeks' time after they've germinated, you'll have to do what's called prick them off, which is, you know, into individual little plants um, and then as the temperatures increase you can start hardening them off during april and may where you're moving them outside it sounds like a bit of work it's not it's very very simple it just takes a bit of time alternatively though the much easier way is is to do what we call direct sowing which is where you sow the seed directly where it's going to grow outside but you wouldn't do that till later in the year so kind of april may um you'll have much more of a variety of what you can grow if you start it now indoors uh, in the seed tray, but there's just a bit of work ahead of you then. But but it is, it's great fun and it's not difficult. It's
1: a fun thing to get involved with. Okay, listen, we leave it there. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for that, Peter.
3: Look forward to it. Thanks, Trish. Thanks
1: a million. Have a lovely week. That is Peter dot the Irish That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara, who produced. You've got Nick Richards, keeping you company for the afternoon. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. very good afternoon.
0: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie.